Welcome to the ninth episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we talk about murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. And I am Cindy. In this week's episode, we will share the horrific details of crimes committed by a twisted pedophile who murdered his own mother. Hey, thanks for listening to last week's episode where we discuss the sadistic crime spree of Deborah Brown and Alton Coleman. Our podcast is not recommended for children. Fair warning, this is extremely horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasitmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, and please give us a five-star rating. While you're there, leave us a comment telling us which murder intrigues you. And if you like our show, please consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash pod. We appreciate our Patreon supporters so very much. Cindy, welcome back. How's it going? It's going really well. How are you? Pretty good. Had a good week. What about you? I did also. I spent a lot of time um, in some gymnasium watching a lot of wrestling going on. Oh, well, that's always a joy. Yeah. Hope you have a good stadium seat. Uh, uh, I will this week. <laughs> good. That's good. <laughs> yes, I am not. Uh, stadium ass is not. Bleacher ass is not what it is. Yeah. Mean. No, no. Okay. Well, um, moving on from bleacher ass, let's talk about uh, <laughs> let's talk about a murder, shall we? Good. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so um, this week we're going to be talking about Robert Mormon. He was born June fourth, nineteen forty-eight, and he was born in Flagstaff, or he's from Flagstaff, Arizona. So stick into that area of the country this week um, in Arizona. So. He was born to a 15-year-old prostitute, and oh. I didn't, yeah, didn't learn any, couldn't find any information about her, except for she died when he was two years old. So, 17, she was 17 years old when she died. I don't know what she died of or how she died. Oh, my gosh. But he was only two, and he was, he did the foster home shuffle from... That's awful. Right. Until he was about five, and then he was adopted by the Mormons from Flagstaff, Arizona, and the adoption was official by the time he turned five. Okay. So, okay. Now, his his doctors um, classified him as someone with mental abilities just above being mentally disabled. So, he wasn't mentally retarded, but he was not a smart man. Okay. Not a smart man. Okay. And he had a hard time making friends. So, at school, people remembered him as being a loner, you know, kind of like on the periphery of things. But obvious that he wanted to make friends but he was just you know never kind of like engulfed in the fold you know what i mean yeah his teachers described him as lonely and rejected by his classmates because he was slow and they said he seldom made friends so this is um a very sad sad childhood for this boy sounds like it yeah um he was odd and slow uh, as of growing up um and he did as he started hitting puberty exhibit some criminal behaviors as a teen but he was never arrested for anything now listen to these things that i found that he did as um, a young you know pre-pubescent puberty teenager okay um so prior to 1972 he had no criminal charges but in one instance he shot and slightly wounded his adopted mother oh my 
my God. Yes. Now, the police were called, of course, and she insisted to the police that it was an accidental shooting. Oh, he's my baby. He didn't do it on purpose. So police left. Okay. Um, not too long after that, he set their home on fire. What? Yes. The family told police, oh, it's an accidental fire. He mixed chemicals that he shouldn't have mixed. So, again, they swept it under the carpet. Red flag. Yeah. Red flag. Yeah. Yeah. No telling what else. I mean, we're not knowing what else is going on as they're arguing. We don't know. Now, when he was 16, the police were called to the residence because someone in the neighborhood saw him kidnap an eight-year-old girl who also lived in the neighborhood. And he took the eight-year-old girl to the house and he tied her up. And police arrived and he said, oh, no, I just took her. We're playing cowboys and Indians. So, yeah, the police took that and the matter was dropped. What? Yeah. No we're playing, one. It's like we're playing so hide and seek. He shot that his mother. He set the house on fire and he um, kidnapped an eight year old girl and um, tied her up before he was caught. So, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like that he would kind of be on their radar at this point. Right. And so they were like, okay, this is the third time we've been to this house. These things are happening, some, you know, we, again. Yeah. Red no, flag. Right. No. So the like parents, it, it seems to me like the parents are doing whatever they can to kind of, um, to kind of like hide these crimes. Oh, no, it's an accident. It's fine. They're doing him absolutely zero justice. Well, doing that. so uh, on the morning of January 24th, 1972, Mormon drops by the Mickelson residence who his dad used to hunt with. The Mickelsons and his father at this point, Mormon's dad had, had passed away recently. So he went and knocked on the door of the Mickelsons and said, oh, can I use your phone? I just um, needed to use your phone and find out what time it was. So the Mrs. Mickelson let her let him in. She's like, you know, I know this kid is um, my husband used to hunt with his dad. So she's like 23 at this point. Yes. Give or take. Yes. Okay. And, you know, it's kind of like a neighborhood kid. So she lets him in and. He goes and he uses the phone and he starts talking to her daughter, um, Shelly. Shelly is eight. She's blonde hair, blue eyed. And she's in the, the mom is in the room listening to the conversation. You know, he's asking her, oh, how are you? How's it going? How's school? You know, what's your favorite toy? And, you know, what's your favorite lunch? And so he's asking her things like what she liked to eat for lunch and what time she got out for lunch. Um, he made a little bit of small talk and then he left. No big deal. Right. Okay. And this um, is not the eight-year-old who's playing hide and This seek. is a different eight-year-old. Okay. 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 So this is a different eight-year-old. So, uh. mm -hmm. so Shelly goes to school and she did not come home that for lunch that afternoon. So she would go to school and I guess kids walk home for lunch and have lunch like 1972. That seems like uh, such an ancient thing, but yeah. Yeah. I mean. Anyway, her parents, um, her parents ended up calling police because Shelly never came home. She never came home from school. She never came home for lunch, which is no big deal. But when she didn't come home from school, there was an issue. Was, yeah. yeah. That was, okay. Something's up. Right. I wonder if there were some days where she could eat at school. That, that's weird. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I don't know. When she was walking, she would walk home for lunch on certain days, I guess. I don't know. But in the investigation, the police interviewed one of Shelly's school friends and, um, the friends said that as they were walking home, one of Shelly's friends drove up and invited Shelly to go to lunch. 
So Shelly got in the car with his friend. Well, I'm sorry, but you know, you're eight years old. What kind of friend do you have? That drives a car. Right, that drives a car. Um, at this point, it was quickly determined that it was Mormon because the mother put two and two together. And um, the police quickly determined that Mormon had kidnapped Shelly as she was walking home for lunch. They put out an APB. Um, they warned the public, you know, this guy, it could be dangerous. Now, Mormon had his mom's car. It was a 1969 Chevy Malibu, and he also had a gun. So he quickly brandished that gun to make the girl comply with his demands, and he proceeded to rape her from Flagstaff, Arizona, to um, just outside of Las Vegas where he got the car stuck. So he pulled off on the side down a little area, and got his car stuck at one of his little rape sites. Good Lord. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So he is raping this poor child over yes. and over again. Yes. And this is over a two-day period, okay? He um, sexually abused her several times at said in dusty motels, like little mom-and-pop hotels, she was found alive and we're going to get into that in just a minute um he he told prosecutors that he really wanted to abduct and rape the mom but she's an adult you know that would have been harder so he lost his nerve and ended up thinking i'm gonna take the girl instead someone who couldn't fight it back as right. easily so at one off-road rape stop he got the car stuck and at that point he decided you know i'm gonna kill the girl and then i'm gonna hitchhike to las vegas the girl started crying and he, oh, yeah. so he decided he wasn't going to kill her. So they were on the side of the road hitchhiking when a woman named Connie Jo Swanson and her husband saw them on the side of the road. They were traveling in their RV and they pulled over and they decided, you know, we're going to give this, this they thought was a dad for a minute mm -hmm. and the daughter a ride. And then it became quite evident that that was not, you know, that he's only 23. There's no way he could possibly be this girl's dad. It just didn't seem that way. Um, she saw that the, the little girl was shivering on the side of the road. She said it was cold. It's January. They were two hours south of Vegas. So they let them in the RV and they fed them. And the girl she put in the back of the RV um, to put to sleep. She okay. put her, you know, let her go to, to bed. She said the girl never said a word. Never said a word. She thought the circumstances were quite strange. She must have been scared to death if she didn't feel like that she could even tell, you know, say, help me. Yes. Or, say what or traumatized, right? Or, right. I mean, good Lord. Um, it did say that at some point he threatened that he would go back and kill her family if she said anything. Oh, okay. um, whatever the case is, the little girl did not say a word in the RV. She ate and then went to sleep. Now, the, the woman who owned the RV said that while her husband was driving, Mormon is at the table in the RV and he pulls out a gun. And she said he ended up taking the bullets out and she said to him, can we put the gun in the drawer? And he let her. He said, put the gun in the drawer. And Mormon had told her at that point he was taking the child to be with her uncle. It's like, I'm just taking her to be with her uncle in Las Vegas. You can drop me off anywhere in Vegas. Okay. Okay. So they get to Vegas and the husband drives directly to the police station and lets them out. They don't go into the police station. They let them out at the police station and then they drive around the corner to a payphone and call the cops. Oh. 
fabulous. Right? So they um, they called the cops and said, look, we just let this weird guy out right in front of your station with this girl. Um, can you go check it out? So they end up, now this part, I couldn't really find what happened, but it turns out that he ends up turning himself in. Okay. They know that Mormon is in town with this girl and he ends up turning himself, um, himself in with the girl and he confesses, you know, I, I was going to leave the girl to die in the car and then I was going to kill her. But then she started crying and then he tells, um, the police that, um, he was going to kill the couple in the RV, but then they were nice to him. So he didn't. Well, what was he going to do? Kill him, kick him out and take the RV? Yeah, maybe. Driving? He says that they were nice to him. That, that, that was his plan. He was going to take the motor home and, and go from there. But he says that they were nice to him, so he didn't. He couldn't. Now, details, like I said, are sketchy about what happened there. But whatever the case is, he turned himself into the Las Vegas police, and that was over. Um, the girl was taken back. She did tell police that she had been molested. She had been raped numerous times. Oh. And um, she, he was extradited back to Arizona. So he pled guilty to kidnapping. Now, I didn't see any charge of, like, sexual molestation or assault or anything like that. Not. Right. It was the 70s. Right. But he begged the judge to go easy on him and give him another chance to straighten up his life. And the judge gave him nine years to life for kidnapping and molestation. So there it is. Yeah, it's there. Now, if he is borderline mentally retarded, he doesn't sound... He's not mentally retarded. He's, he just has a low IQ. He's got the lowest IQ before you are considered mentally okay. retarded. So, begging the judge to give him another chance or being realizing that, oh, these people are nice to me. I'm not going to do this. To me, would he even have the, the ability to sort that out in his head? I mean, like a kid doesn't say, oh, well, my mommy was nice to me, so I decided not right. to fit. That is an odd, it, it is an odd turn of events that he would say that, oh, they were nice, so I didn't kill them. But maybe he had guilt, you know, who knows? Yeah, what I, I do know this. is that later on, they're going to say, you know, he's not, he's not mentally ill. He's not, he knew what he was doing. Okay. And we're going to get to that later. Now, he ended up pleading guilty, like I said, and the, um, the judge gave him nine years to life. And said that the sentence was intended to prevent future molestation, future incidents, because they did bring up that incident where he had kidnapped that other eight-year-old and brought, right. right? So there's a pattern here. Mm -hmm. And the judge said, you know, we, I want to make sure that I'm going to try to pre prevent future incidents. So he's sentenced to the Arizona State Prison in Florence, Arizona, where he was a model prisoner. So in 19... 70, I put 1982, he was given parole. I'm not sure if that date's correct, but it's close. Okay. Um, now, when he's on parole, he interacted with a lot of people. He decided he was going to open his own business. He was going to be in the business world. And um, a lot of people said that he would switch conversations frequently. He was like in another world, a woman he stayed with. He had a girlfriend when he was on parole. She said that he would dress normally during the day, but then like at night he would all wear all black. So she thought that was kind of weird because he said it was because he had ties to the mafia and his mom um, supported him generously. Like she tried to back him up in his business, but he was just unsuccessful in his business affairs. So he was kind of a failure on that front. 
All right. So just after that, his parole was revoked. His parole officer recommended that he be hospitalized instead of return to the prison because there were some uh, frequent fantasies that interfere with daily activities. There's a little bit of odd activity that the parole officer's like, you know, he can't handle it in the real world, but maybe prison isn't the right place for him. However, he ended up going back to prison. Now, the parole officer said that he was never sure whether Mormon was incompetent or whether he was a con man because he could tell some stories. All right, so he's back in prison, right? So he's there for a couple of years. And in 1984, he applies for and gets permission for a compassionate furlough. I'm sorry, what? A compassionate furlough. So a furlough, compassionate furlough means that the prisoner can leave prison for an amount of time to, you know, for a death of a family member or to take care of business, um, conjugal visit. So that's what a, co- a compassionate furlough is. So he was granted a 72-hour compassionate furlough. I'm sorry, that is the most fucked up thing I've ever heard. Yes. I'm sorry, if you're a violent criminal and kidnapping and molestation would be a violent criminal. Right. In my book. I don't think you should be allowed to go anywhere. Like, I agree with you. I agree with you. He arranges for his 74-year-old mother to meet him at the Blue Miss Motel, which is right across the street from the prison. So his mom takes like a Greyhound bus from Flagstaff to the bus station in Florence. And then she has a friend who lives in Florence who will pick her up from the bus station and take her to the hotel. So she ends up, actually, she takes her to check him out of the prison. And then they check into the uh, Blue Mist Hotel in Florence, which is right across the street from the prison, like I said. That sounds a little seedy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, many of the people who interacted with Mormon that Friday say uh, that, that he told a bunch of bullshit lies, basically. He just made things up. For example, he went into um, a store and told the clerk who sold him a knife that it was a gift for his son. Now he doesn't have a son. He said that his, uh, he mentioned his dead father to several people, like the dead father was not really dead. He was alive and they were hanging out together. And he told a liquor store clerk that he was married and that his mother had recently died of cancer. So he's just going around to all these places and and making up stories as he goes. Is that like par for the course for someone who has a low IQ. I mean, I don't know. To me, I'm thinking if you're coming up with these elaborate stories and elaborate lies, that is not indicative of someone with a lower IQ. Maybe I'm, I just, yeah, that's why I'm just ignorant to that fact. I mean, I don't right. know. I, that's why, you know, and I don't know, like they, like, like the parole officer said, you know, I'm not sure if he's just like mentally incompetent or if he's a con man because he has, I guess, characteristics of both. Right. But then I think about it now. I mean, because usually like when your IQ, when they test kids that have IQs, there's kids with like normal IQ and normal IQ was not bottom of the spectrum IQ for an adult. Right. I don't know. Duh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking I'm like, well, you can, you know, we've met some individuals who can tell some wild stories and that doesn't make them. Right low iq but they might not be brilliant to me some or... of his actions are very childlike so you know i'm not i'm not really sure but you know and then some of them aren't 
So, and we're going to get into that. And that's like a quandary that the jury also had. I mean, maybe he just has a lower IQ, so he thinks like an eighth grader forever. Right. As opposed Could to be. maybe like someone right? who, I mean, I, I keep going yeah. like Forrest Gump, but Forrest Gump, yeah, bad example. Okay. It, Forrest Gump is, yeah, he wasn't a murderer. No, no, I'm just saying. Yeah. When you talk, when you watch that and you see he was different and he, you right, tell, he, he was don't... sweet and innocent. This guy, I don't see that. Oh, you know, totally yeah. Fictional, fictional character. Right. No <laughs> we're comparing you, this Mormon. You get to... where we're going yeah. with this. <laughs> so on Friday the 13th of January in 1984, he calls his mom's friend, the lady that would pick her up from the bus station and and you know kind of be our little taxi around when she would visit her son while he's in prison okay she, he called her friend and said um so please could you give me a ride to mesa so i can talk to my attorney so he had arranged for this woman marianne to come and give him a ride now he after that he walked to the store he purchased a buck knife a steak knife and some food and then at around eight o'clock he went to a local pizza parlor now, don't forget that this is a prison town. So the guards who, he knows a lot of people that work at the prison who also like, live, in that town. live in that town. So yeah. he runs into the pizza parlor owner who used to work as a prison guard at the, at, the, um, at the prison. And so he bought a soda and they were shooting the shit, talking. And he told the owner, yeah, I'm on furlough with my mom. Uh, she's not feeling really well, but you know what? We'll try to come back later for dinner. So okay. he has had conversations with people he knows. So and they he, know he's out and about. Yeah. And there's witnesses. Right. Oh. And he goes that morning um, at nine o'clock, he goes into the front desk of the hotel and he tells the uh, Bloomis Motel, not hotel. He tells the motel earner, owner to please just hold the maid service. No phone calls. My mom's sick. All right. Let's not disturb her at all. He also goes to the owner's wife, who's, cleaning rooms and asks her you know you don't need to come into my room but could i borrow some disinfectant spray and i need some towels now he gives her a bag of towels and leaves a bat leaves some towels outside the door she said that they smelled awful they, they're horrible yep. and they had blood he, she said he had some blood on his face and that there were some towels later left outside that smelled so bad she ended up throwing them away what was on them i don't know I mean, I can speculate. Yeah, gross. Okay. Let me tell you what happened, and then we can decide what might have been on the towels. Okay. So Marianne comes in. She arrives that afternoon to take him to the attorney, and he opened the door, and he's like, look, my mom's not here. She's been gone since earlier, and I don't know where she is. But he asks her, can you take these garbage bags and throw them away from me? I mean, this is where I'm getting this low IQ thing. Like, he's asking, could you take these garbage bags and throw them away for me? Yeah. She says no. Now, Roberta... Um, well, Rob if the towels smelled, the garbage surely smelled. She's probably like, I'm not putting that shit in my car. Right, exactly. Oh. So, you know what? And I'm sorry. Um, yeah, could you take this garbage out for me? No. I mean, I guess I might ask somebody to do that. I don't know. She, yeah, she, well, she refuses to tell, help dispose of the bags. And then she notices that Roberta's purse is still in the motel room. So this lady's not here. Why is her purse there? Okay. She also noticed that the room was really, really cold. The air conditioners turned up all the way. And um, so she leaves. And then about 4 p.m., he calls her and says, has my mom called you? I haven't heard from my mom. So. Yeah, his 
to me, his, his yeah. IQ spectrum's all over the place. Because how would he know to turn down the air to keep it cold in there? Because you know, it's, she's probably been dead for a while now, and he's trying to keep it cool in there. Right. How would he know to do that? I don't, I mean, right. I'm trying to think on a third grade level, would a third grader know to do something like that? No. I don't know. All right, so about 4.30 p.m. that day, he goes to the motel owner again, and he says, look, has the garbage been collected? The owner said the garbage is not going to get collected until Monday morning. So Mormon tells the owner, he's like, look, my mom bought some meat, and it's spoiled, and I need to throw it out. Okay? During the evening, he goes and he asks a liquor store clerk, and he asks a pizza owner, look, can I throw this spoiled meat out in your dumpster? And both of them refuse. So he's already gone a few people and asked look is there a place where i can throw the spoiled meat well he's just stupid first off you don't ask somebody can i throw something in your dumpster you just do it exactly <laughs> right <laughs> i not know that i do that ever i'm just saying now greg johnson yeah right, yeah <laughs> the pizza shop owner um greg johnson he ended up calling the cops like man this dude's ask, acting really strange he's so some weirdo yeah. questions one too many times and it's a relatively close-knit town, you know, so he... he With a prison in it. Yeah, so he tells two cops, Donald Thusen and Keith Hyland, that this guy, Mormon, is asking if he could dispose of some cow guts in the restaurant's dumpster. Wait, I thought it was just spoiled meat. Right, How'd it, it changes. It changes. Well, how did he get cow guts? Right? Well, his mom brought it home, right? Oh, wait, that story changes, too. Gross. Um, so... Now, Johnson, like I said, he used to work at the prison and he knew Mormon. So he's like, you know, this dude is acting guilty. There's something going on here. Yeah. So he tells the officers that Mormon has said his mom was ill. You know, he's saying his mom's ill. And then he's asking me to dump these, these cow guts. <laughs> so the two Florence police officers, they go to the hotel around 1030. And they knock on Mormon's um, ho- door and they explain to him that they heard his mom was ill. They just want to check on her, see how she's doing. And Mormon tells him that his mom has been sick that morning, but after afterwards she felt better and she left. She was going to visit a Mexican woman um, at about 6 p.m. that night. So the so she's not there. He said that he had not heard from her and he was very worried. He was wearing only a pair of unzipped trousers and a belt. Thusan and Highland spoke with a motel owner who thought that he had, they had seen Mormon, Mrs. Mormon around. So they didn't have any concern because there was a witness that they saw her and she was fine. Oh, they probably thought her friend. Could be. Her. Absolutely. Oh, I didn't think of that. You're right. So maybe they saw the friend. Whatever the case, because of that information, they just kind of let it go. They let mm. it go. Now, but they do call their superintendent, their superior officer, Captain Terry Horall, and they say, look, you know, it's, it's, she might be missing. We don't know what's going on. And the captain's like, you know, just, just go driving around. And they, so they didn't see her anywhere. And he informs them, just, just go hang out in the motel parking lot and see what's going on. I, I must have missed a lot going on in between here because it's just, Or it's a really slow night for police officers in this town. I don't know. But they end up going back and sitting in this motel room or in the motel parking lot. Okay. Or maybe they have a decent-sized force. Yeah. Whatever the case, Mormon comes out. He sees the cops out there, and he goes over there, and he tells them, you know what? She hasn't come back. I'm really worried because she has not taken her blood pressure medicine. So the captain and another officer arrive, and Mormon brings them into his room to show them his mom's medicine. 
and the officers notice a strong medicinal smell as well as small brownish red spots on the floor and wall. But it's not enough to really, like, it's not probable cause or anything. They have no no worries that, I mean, they don't have probable cause of thinking a crime has been committed, right? Well, and they might be thinking this isn't the Radisson. Right. It's the Blue Misty Mist Hotel. Blue whatever. Mist Hotel, Blue right? Mist Hotel. Yeah. So who knows what's misplattered on the walls or right. such. I mean. Um, he Then at this point, he starts telling them a different story that he told the other two cops. And he says, yeah, my mom asked me to go buy a knife as a gift for someone. And then when I came back, she was gone. Captain Horall questions Mormon about the cow guts. And Mormon said that a cousin had given them to him. And so he flushed them down the toilet. So now he's, he's saying he flushed the cow guts down the toilet. Why did the and cousin gotta, give you cow guts? Right. Where does he get this shit from? Right. Where I mean, do cow guts come from? I mean, why would you? You're on furlough. furlough you have cow guts. So whatever the case. Um, he asked the correction officers who are in the, po- in the parking lot where he could take 25 pounds of spoiled hamburger meat. Um, why would you have 25 pounds of right? hamburger meat? But he said, my parents brought this hamburger meat and it's, it's spoiled. I need to get rid of this. And the officer's like, well, just call the guy in charge at your prison. So he calls the, the warden Shut at the prison. <laughs> I know, is this real? Okay. Um, and guess what? The guy, the lieutenant in charge, drives to the hotel room and gets a bag, a box. So Mormon gets in here, right? But he tells the guy at the at the prison that it's a bag of do- a box of dog bones. Dude, I've got a box of dog bones, twenty five <laughs> pounds of dog bones, and you want them? So the guy drives okay, over okay. there. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Right? So we have spoiled meat, cow guts, cow guts. Now dog bones. Now dog bones. Right. Okay, and 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 they all are, are they just like let's entertain him and let's get the stuff? Or they... no, the guy really thinks they're dog bones. He comes over, the dog bones are put in the back of the pickup, and he drives back to work and goes in and works. Okay, what's he need? What does he need dog bones for? Maybe he has a dog. Why is he calling his the person his his? jailer essentially <laughs> right then, i don't know hey i got these dog right? bones how does he even have his phone number anyway he told the he told the guy look the cousin dropped off some dog bones a couple of days earlier i need to get rid of them um, my mom is out visiting her friend and she told me they have to be out of here before she gets home and the dumpster is full so the guy comes and they load up the dog bones in the back of this pickup so we're going to stop there for um we're going to stop there for a moment and tell you about another podcast that might interest you. All right. So welcome back, back to the dog bones. So let me just clarify a little bit more about what I found. So he calls the Lieutenant who's on duty and I don't know if they're friends or what, you know, but the Lieutenant agrees to come and shows up 10 minutes later and Mormon put a box in the bed of the Lieutenant's truck. He asked the lieutenant, dude, I need to get something out of my prison cell. Can I go back to the prison? Can you give me a ride and get something out of my living quarters? And the lieutenant's like, no, you can't. You know, I'm helping you out here. So he returned to the prison with the box of bones. He saw some clean bones in there, and he just puts it out by the dumpster. So at about 1.30 a.m., he gets a call from the police. And the police are like, dude, this guy's acting very strange. Is he out on furlough? What's going on? And the, the lieutenant, uh, the prison guard's like, yeah, 
I just came and picked up a box that he said were dog bones. So it's at this point that the police go, they find the box and look inside and notice human bones. So at this point, there's human bones and tissue in this box, and not this dog dum-dum bones. Lieutenant person, Lieutenant Dum Dum, he. If somebody asked me to go pick up a box of bones, I mean, I am not. Especially if it's a prisoner on furlough. Right. I'm going to be a little suspicious. I don't understand the relationship. I mean, maybe he just seems so, so innocent. I don't know. But it's all odd to me. That's why I was just like, no way. Anyway, at this point, they realize these are not dog bones. These are human bones. And they take it to a hospital for analysis. Duh. Yeah. No, no shit. Okay. Um, now, let's see. Where am I? Okay. So, after receiving the instruction that, uh, you know, the, we've got these dog bones, they say, they, the police are told, just sit in your car, watch him, let's wait for his mom. And Mormon comes out of, the, out of his room, and they end up getting him in the car. Like, we, we know that what we have are not dog bones they're human body parts so now they he's arrested for suspicion of murder i mean i would think that that would be it yeah i mean that that would be enough evidence okay they still have to keep the room under surveillance yeah just in case Mom yeah comes home. okay now there's some confusion at the trial on whether when they arrested him they already knew they were dog bones this is all going to come back in the appeal process which is why i bring it up mm. but he it's it's questionable whether it was within five minutes seven minutes before or after they learned that these weren't real um dog bones they were human bones all right so let me just back up so the officers asked mormon to get out of the car and they handcuff him they said you're under arrest on suspicion of murder and as he's getting back into the car he said i wonder if i need a lawyer i'll leave it up to you guys whether i need a lawyer well, the officers did not say anything, and Mormon then say, stated that he wanted to confess. So the officer said, well, just wait, um, just wait until we get to the police station. But about five minutes later, Mormon said, listen, you can change the charge. She's dead. He told the officers that he called a prison because he was afraid that they might be mad that his mother was not with him and that he had just lost his cool when his mother made him take his father's place and do things he just couldn't handle Ew. right so we're going to get into that in a minute but the officers took mormon to the police station where after he was read his miranda warnings he confessed to killing his mom and dismembering her body Ew. yeah now he he says that well according to the autopsy report she was beaten, stabbed, and suffocated. She also had a few, um, like her breasts were cut. But according to defense attorneys, he was sexually abused into his adult years. And he ended up cutting her off her head, her legs, her arms. He cut her in half at her torso. He flushed her fingers down the toilet. Holy crap. Uh, most of her remains were found in trash bins around town after asking various businesses if, you know, if he could dispose of spoiled meat and animal guts. So he had, you know, gone in these places. Can I throw these guts in your trash? Oh. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So I wonder, 
I mean, you may tell me later on, but I wondered, was his mom really sexually abusing him or is he just using that as... That's a good question, and no one really knows. I mean, how would they know? I mean, how would you really know? You really, I mean, you really wouldn't unless there was she's dead, physical she evidence. However, during his appeal, there are some psychologists, psychiatrists who mm-hmm. will testify. So okay. I'll get to that. Yeah. I'm they, sorry, I had to switch from coffee to wine on this one. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm about ready for a glass myself. <laughs> The, the police end up getting a warrant to search his room at the Blue Mist, and they found bedding that was stained with Roberta's blood. There were towels, a washcloth, a cooking pot that was stained with blood. There were blood stains on the bathroom walls and floor. There was a scouring pad with blood stains and human tissue, uh, a buck knife and a steak knife. They found Roberta's bra hanging in the closet. She had $500 pinned inside of it. I mean, my grandma used to pin money in her wow. bra. That's a granny thing, wow. isn't it? Well, I mean, she was pretty, I mean, she was in her 70s. She was 74, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the trash dumpster at near the motel, the police officers found trash bags containing Roberta's thorax, her head, her pelvic area, her feet, her hands. They also found muscle and skin that was cut from her limbs, as well as torn strips of towel and a razor. Um, They found the package in which the steak knife was sold, and they found some pajamas. They also found a finger in the sewer. So good yeah. night. This was a bloody atrocity. Holy yeah. shit. I'd be pissed if I was the owner of that hotel. Oh Lord. God. Uh, the medical examiner testified that she died of asphyxiation. <laughs> the bloody mist hotel. Ew. <laughs> the bloody mist hotel. Ooh, God. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the blood um the medical examiner testified that she actually died of asphyxiation. So he said that he put a pillow on her face. Because she was making all kinds of sex noises. And I'll, and I'll get to that in just a few minutes. But he testified that, that between the hours, uh, now this is the medical examiner, of okay. uh, 12 and one half hour prior to her death, she had sustained bruises as a revolt, result of moderate force from a fist or blunt object on her left upper arm, both breasts, and on her lower back. He also testified that between two hours and one half hour before her death, she was cut by a knife or other sharp pointed object once on her right breast and five times on her right buttock. Um, He found no defensive wounds on her hands and found no marks indicating that her wrists or ankles were bound, but her hands and feet had been cut off. So that might be why there were no marks. I mean, it's impossible to find them. Or he just beat her unconscious and then there were no defensive wounds because she wasn't fighting back because maybe he punched her one time and, she knocked, yeah. and he knocked her out and then he just did the rest while she was out. Now, there were bruises around her mouth consistent with being gagged, so he did have her bound and gagged. Okay. Uh, he also noted that the dismemberment of the body was very meticulous, specifically the cutting off of the hands at the wrist and the feet at the ankles and then the fingers at the knuckles. Uh, the entire process would have probably taken at least two hours, but... He did not find any evidence of sexual activity at all. Tests run on the sheets and bedspread found no evidence of semen or any kind of, um, like, fluids. As far as a medical examiner could determine, she was alive when she was bruised and cut, but he could not tell whether she was conscious, so we don't know. So I wonder if he learned all of this stuff, because this is pre-internet, so maybe someone from the prison had told him well if 
maybe he talked about what he was going to do or fantasized about what he'd want to do or maybe he was just listening to the other prisoners and that's how he got the idea well I need to do this 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 and this right if I'm going to there's no telling it doesn't ever say he tries to pull that dumb card a lot but that's why people are saying you know what he's he's got us all snowed yeah now fake an IQ test I mean I don't see why you couldn't now he was the defense called an expert witness, Dr. Overbeck, who's a psychologist. And the psychologist interviewed him for 10 out for five sessions and gave him a bunch of psychological tests, reviewed his medical history, his school and prison records. And he concluded that Mormon suffered from organic delusional syndrome, which is like a paranoid, uh, paranoid disability. It's a paranoid disorder. Okay. He also is a pedophile, pet, suffer from pedophilia and schizoid personality disorder. And this guy says that he's unable to appreciate the nature and consequences of his actions when he killed his own mother. He also noted that a delusional diagnosis is difficult. So, you know, we can't say for 100, 100% that this is what this guy has. Right. It's very difficult to diagnose. It's kind of like a process of elimination right. type thing. Like, right. you don't have this, and maybe you have and, this. And, and in five sessions, I mean, really, how... You know, it's it's a guess. Anybody's guess. And, you know, and the defense is paying for this. Because so. it takes a while before a psychologist or psychiatrist really right. probably breaks through and gets to really know who you are because you... you right. Know, I don't know. Yeah. I just would think that you haven't totally opened up to them in just five seconds. And this man's a storyteller. So who yes. knows if he's telling the truth. But what he, what the guy does say is that really based on what what I've learned is... You know, you just would have to really believe his allegations of an incestuous relationship with his mother. Mm-hmm. And this guy saying, you know, that's whether or not he never said whether he believed it or not. Okay. And they do know how to, you know, they are professionals, obviously, and they know how to ask right the right questions. Right. And I think with the right questions, maybe they get an answer and they're like, well. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, the state calls their own expert witnesses. So there's a Dr. Cleary. Uh, he diagnosed Mormon as suffering from pedophilia and antisocial personality disorder. And he said that he did not believe that Mormon was unable to understand and appreciate the nature of his actions. He says this guy knew what he was doing. Um, based on some bizarre writings that they found in his jail cell, uh, as well as some other things that I'm going to talk about that they found in his jail cell, make him less certain of the conclusion of the other uh the other psychologist. Now, Dr. Tukler is a board certified forensic psychiatrist who diagnosed Mormon on four prior occasions beginning in his teens. So this guy knows this kid, knew him as a child. Right. Um, and he too testified that Mormon is a pedophile with antisocial personality disorder, but he is capable of understanding the actions. He knew what he was doing. Right. However, especially if you're hiding what you did, to me, you understand what you did. Right. And, and it's planned out. But this guy is the only one who actually believed that the incestuous relationship with the mother was true. He actually believed that Mormon um, was having an incestuous relationship with his mother and that he had sex with her that night. Would it be incest if they weren't really blood related? Sorry, it just popped up. You know, I don't know. I... Ugh. I really just don't want to think that that's true. No, no. But whatever the case, um, 
The doctor said that that night, a Mormon told him that she wanted her breast pinched and that she was making noises. And so he put a pillow over her face that, so that he would not hear her. So he testified that he believed Roberta's death was accidental. Um, but another guy who was a neurologist who examined Mormons said that he found no evidence of any kind of brain defect. So that's, that possibility is out. Whatever the case is, he cut off her head. He cut off her legs and arms. He had her and he flushed all her fingers down the toilet. Um, then he went around to different businesses asking if he could dispose of these spoiled meat and animal guts. Before, um, and he ended up getting rid of most of her remains. So he knew what was going on. Now, I don't know why you would call, why you would call like the prison guard, like we said. It's just odd. Yeah, that's odd. Right? All right, so um, he said, like I said, that his mom had been sexual, sexually molesting him for decades, and uh, they quarreled, and that's when he killed her. So he goes back to prison, right? He's back in prison waiting. Yeah, because his furlough was over, so he had to go back anyway. Right. Now he's back in the same prison where he was in when he was on furlough, and... Um, He's awaiting the trial for the murder of his mom. He has a pen. He's, he ends up going on death row, right? He, he ends up getting on death row, gets the death penalty for this, um, which, you know, he gets some appeals, what we're going to talk about in a minute, but he did, he did request a pen pal, a pen pal, right? And this is what he, he says. Now he um, was an orderly and a prison, a barber in prison. Um, and he was a pretty decent prisoner. I mean, I guess he writes, hello, my name is Robert Mormon. I am a death row prisoner in Florence, Arizona. I'm 55 years old, born on the 4th of June, 1948. I just want to find some pen pals who don't mind writing to a man on death row. I'm five feet, 10 inches, brown eyes and hair, 195 pounds, like writing poetry, short stories to different people all over music, country, Western, rock and roll, others. No hobbies allowed in this area. TV, Star Trek type shows, talk shows, mysteries, etc. Used to like camping, fishing, hunting, hiking. Death row inmate since 85. Came to prison in May 72. Will answer all letters, questions. I would love to correspond with any age and race. I love to write and read. Please write to. And then it gives his address. Which I'm not going to put since, you know, he's dead. He's dead. Yeah. Okay. Oh, spoiler alert. Right. He's dead. Um, now, during his trial, he attempted to convince the jurors that he was insane, but they didn't buy it. And so he's sentenced to death, like I said. Now, um, the p- police chief at the time, Tom Rankin, he was a witness. And he said that Mormon was calm. He tried to act like nothing was going on. He knew what was going on. There was no doubt in my mind. So he was not insane at the time. Right. All right. So, um... They were unsuccessful in, in showing, the defense attorneys were unsuccessful in showing that he was sexually abused by his adopted mother throughout childhood and in adulthood. Um, so, and they're saying it's unconscionable to execute him because of this, but there was no evidence whatsoever of that. Uh, let's see, where am I? Okay. So at trial, he admitted that he killed his mother, but he claimed that he was guilty of insanity. And he contends that his conviction should be overturned for seven reasons. So here are the seven reasons. So this is for his appeal. 
He's saying that post-arrest incriminating statements and a confession should have been suppressed because the police lacked probable cause to arrest it. Now, they threw that out because he confessed without any kind of, you know, he just was talking and told them. So it wasn't like they coerced a confession out of him at all, right? He's also saying the evidence seized from his motel room should have been suppressed because the search warrant did not list the items to be seized. That was thrown out as well. Um, and, and they're, you know, it's, it's a very technical, but, you know, they got the, the bloody towels and they saw the blood on the wall. And he's saying that should be thrown out because it wasn't specifically listed on the arrest warrant or the search warrant. Um, but... But that gave them problems right. for the search warrant right. because it was out in plain sight. Exactly. So that was thrown out. He also said that evidence seized without a search warrant from his living quarters at the prison should not have been suppressed. So let me tell you about, they found some bizarre writings in his prison cell. But uh, does sh- that even, do you have a right to privacy when you're no, in prison? No, you do not. That's why that okay. one's thrown out. But I forgot to tell you what was found in his prison oh, cell. okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. They found some writing. So his mom was about to move to Oklahoma with uh-huh. some, in- you know, she's getting older. So she was going to change the will. He was still the, um, he was still going to be the heir to the estate. However, it was going to go in a trust. But he didn't want it. Yes. And, and she said that he would not, he would just blow through the money. He wouldn't. So he, but he didn't want that. So they're saying that it was he, that this crime was for pecuniary reasons. So it was oh. for profit. So there's evidence showing like he had a forced, a forged will in his, uh, in his cell and some oh, other wow. writings about how he was going to kill his mother to prevent this from happening. Oh, well, so that I'm sure didn't look good at trial. So by the way, when you're in prison, you don't have the fourth amendment, right? You don't have the right to, uh, freedom from search and seizure, right? You have no rights, right? Where we work. Right. (laughs) Statements and physical evidence taken at police station should have been suppressed because he was denied his right to counsel and he wasn't denied his right to counsel. He said, Oh, I'll have an attorney if you, if you think I need one. And then nobody said anything. And then five minutes later, he talked. So there's, he didn't ask for an attorney. He didn't say, I need an attorney. He said, if you think I need one, maybe. But that's not for them to decide. Right, right. You know? So whatever so the case. Go, yeah, you probably do. Right. So that was thrown. That was denied. Um, they, he said that there was irrelevant and unduly prejudicial photographs because they showed pho- photographs of the mom's severed body. Well, that's what you that's what they do at trial right i've heard that a lot like in uh-huh. several different cases that i've read or or listened to and they always say that oh they were just trying to taint the jury by these pictures but those pictures are kind of important right so that the jury right. sees exactly what you did to that person and really they only showed one i think they only showed one or two they didn't show all of the photos so that was thrown out that was denied um there's also a the burden. Okay, so then the attorneys say, "Well, it should. He should. He should have been proven." Hold on. Okay, let me back up. So it says that it requires a defendant to prove insanity by clear, clear and convincing evidence, but the burden of proof should not rest on the defendant. Instead, it should rest on the state. Well, and yes, that's how it, that's how it not works. the burden of insanity. No, 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 no. It's okay. up to the state to prove whether the person is guilty or not. Right. 
Right. But to prove whether or not someone is insane, that's the defense, not the... And he's saying that it yeah. should be... Because they don't want the person to be insane. Right. They want them to have to go serve time for their... Right. So that was crime. thrown out. The judge says, no, that's not the state's place. That's the defendant's place. And then lastly, he says that uh, the jury should not have been should not have gotten some of the lesser offenses and the judge throws that out. So the reason why he was in prison in the first place for raping and um, kidnapping the eight year old. Yeah. Now he was sentenced to death and he, his appeals were uh, overturned a few times, but eventually he did get an execution date, which was sometime in 2012, I believe. Let me go here, tell you a little bit about his last meal. Oh, he, his execution was scheduled for February 29th, 2012. Um, and his execution was also a little bit controversial. Okay. Um, and I'm going to tell you that in a minute, but I'm gonna tell you his last meal. He was, he wanted to have a double, he wanted to have a quarter pounder medium with two sides of onion, two slices of onion. Then he had three leaves of lettuce on it with tomatoes and a bun. He had fries with four ounces of ketchup. This uh, is really specific. Yeah, I know. They weighed everything. This is so I want important. four ounces of ketchup. Not three, not five, not four and a half. Right. I want four oh, ounces. Two, three ounce bur Was beef burritos. <laughs> no, because he Obviously has, he has fries. Yeah. And he has fries. <laughs> three Royal Crown Colas and two 14 ounce containers of Rocky Road ice cream. Now, he could have had a light breakfast, but nobody, um, nobody noted that he did. Wow, he had... Okay, so his, um, his execution, at the time, Arizona was a three, um, it was a three chemical execution. So it was three, sh three injections, mm -hmm. okay? Which we've heard about these before, about how they were like, I know. So he had lethal injection in 1985? In 2012. Oh, 2012. Sorry, okay. sorry, sorry. Yeah, because then sometimes the chemical compound or whatever, there was a big controversy, then you couldn't get some of well, it. Well, okay, so Arizona had this law that you had to, if there were any changes in the proceedings, they had to be given a week in advance. But two days before the execution, they realized that one of the, one of the chemicals that they used for the lethal injection was um, expired. So they gave the notice within two days that we're going to try this brand new. It's one step injection, one step lethal injection. And his attorney said, that's not right because it's your own law to where you have to give them seven days. Okay. The judge said, don't do this again because next time we won't let you do it. But they went ahead and gave him the single, the single lethal injection. Okay. So it wasn't. Was it, there an issue with it? Well, there was, and um, but they went ahead with the execution, and um, he's dead now. Now, his last words were, I hope that this will bring closure and they can start the healing now, and I just hope they will forgive me in time, and that's it. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Dang. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. We hope you are enjoying our podcast as much as we are. Please support us and subscribe to our podcast. While you are there, give us a five-star rating and leave us a comment about absolutely anything. This is essential to our success, and it helps push us up the charts. Please take a moment to do so on your favorite platform. And for more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. If you would like to support us even further, please, please visit patreon.com forward slash itwasn'tmepod. 
Thanks again, everybody. And remember, it It wasn't wasn't me. me.